Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And with help from Albertsons, it doesn't have to be the most stressful. Stop in for great deals on holiday favorites so you can stretch your budget and celebrate more. Pick up fresh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts or thighs, just $1.59 a pound when you buy a value pack of three pounds or more. And get General Mills cereal 10.7 to 13 ounces, selected varieties, $1.57 when you buy two. Tastier meals, sweeter deals, happier holidays. Albertsons, it's just better. So you want to get into the daily fantasy thing, get those competitive juices flowing, and maybe even win some cash. But Coach Nick, you say, there are too many gosh darn teams and players and stats and lineups. Well, don't worry. All is well because there's a new app for that. It's called No Halftime, and you can pick one player or one team and challenge others. Pit LeBron James versus Steph Curry, or James Harden versus Russell Westbrook, or Sasha Vujicic versus Nikola Vucevic. It takes seconds to set up, and it can be public or private. No halftime is not only for the NBA, but tons of other sports. It's fun, it's addicting, and you'll get a $20 bonus by entering promo code COACH at sign-up. Leave the break in the middle of the game to us coaches. For you, there's no halftime. Did Stan Van Gundy win the trade deadline for the Detroit Pistons? What kind of magic is Orlando pulling out of its hat? And why didn't Madonna win at least one album of the year in the 80s? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I, again, sincerely hope that you're listening to this on our new mobile app because it's awesome and it sounds so much better there. I'm pleased to have on the show today Adi Joseph, who is the NBA editor at Sporting News. Adi, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show to chop up about the NBA and some other stuff that we might get to on the culture of the United States. <laughs> yes, the, uh, the culture of the United States, including... Uh, Madonna's number one singles. And <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, again, and thanks just for to, having me, Nick. You got it. You know, and to reference that briefly, we were, I was, I, my kids were watching the damn uh, Grammys, and I, you know, to, for full disclosure, I was an art major in college, and I've never really understood sort of this notion of you know awards for art and why that is that much better deserves this more than that. But what I was shocked at was that when um, what's her face uh, Taylor <laughs> Swift. Said she was the first woman to ever win. Better two. watch out if the, if the Taylor Swift fans are listening right now. That's <laughs> <puts> her face. <laughs> I apologize, but by the way, I really like Taylor Swift. Believe it or not, like it's not an excruciating experience to listen to her music. So, um, but she said she was the first woman ever to win two Album of the Year Grammys, and I was like, Madonna never did that, and you told me she didn't even win one. Yep. Now, how is that possible? Well, you know what you know what it's like. It's like. The fact that, you know, Jerry West never won an MVP. 
You know what? That's a great <laughs> circle right. back to basketball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. We look at the, the album of the year winners. I'm sure you're going to see maybe like Prince or Michael Jackson, uh, Phil Collins, like whatever. Like, yeah, I get it. That, that's a really tough uh, crowd to be uh, in with. And you know what's also a really tough crowd are the people who were focused on the trade deadline yesterday in the NBA, which we should segue to because we want to talk a little bit about basketball before we get into that. Uh, who was your winner yesterday for the trades? Uh, I think if you look, if you count both days right before the trade deadline, I think the clear winner is the Pistons. And I just, I, I was really impressed with both moves they made uh, to get Donatas Multiunis at a very low price. And, you know, they gave up a, a protected first rounder, sure, but it wasn't, a, this time last year, Donatas Multiunis would have cost a lot. And they got him for a relatively fair deal. And then to get Tobias Harris for literally just a couple expiring contracts is that was a money deal right there. And that's he's 23 years old. He's got a reasonable contract for a long time. Really like that move. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing with the Pistons was getting rid of Brandon Jennings. Oh, I love Brandon Jennings. Well, you know what? I, I, whether I love him or don't love him, you know, he's just there wasn't a lot of place. Like with Reggie Jackson there, it just wasn't going to work no matter no, what you right. think, right? Yeah, Jennings, Jennings was actually playing pretty well with the second unit, but you having him and, J- and Jackson out there at the same time just is not the ideal anything. So <laughs> right. for them to get Harris, who I think is going to – him and Stanley Johnson are going to be the forwards of the future. That's a nice pairing. Harris is 23. Drummond is, what, 22? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Stanley Johnson's one of the youngest players in the draft class. Uh so they've got themselves a young front court of the future that's, I think, really going to hold up. You know, that kind of hurts my fantasy team because I have Marcus Morris on my fantasy team, and he was doing really nicely uh, in that role. And it sounds like now that Harris is there, it's, he's probably going to go by the wayside. Yeah, they're, they're similar players in a lot of ways. I think they, they do the same things, even if they do them slightly differently. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how – Tobias gets his buckets while operating within that all the time they use that Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond pick and roll because they rely on the pick and roll maybe more than any other team in the league. And it'll be interesting to see how Tobias fits in as a wing player in a pick and roll based offense. Do you have any hope that he'll he'll get back down the three point line ever? Yeah, you know, he was a good three point shooter last year and, and this year his numbers are way down from there. And I think he's a talented shooter. I don't think that Scott Skiles knows how to use shooters all that well. Uh, um, interesting. What What do you mean by that? I th- I mean, you just look at Scott Skiles' career, and he has never been a guy who, you know, he gets compared to the, like the Van Gundy brothers because his defense is always so good. But those guys use three point shooters really well, and I don't think that Skiles has ever been exactly great at getting shooters open, and 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 that's a fundamentally important thing to do in today's NBA. This holiday season, AT&T is giving away $25,000 just for telling them what great LG products you want this year. Stop by a participating AT&T store and snap a selfie holding up the LG products you want to get, like the LG V20 with 5.7-inch HD display and direct TV app to watch live TV. Then share your selfie on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag Here's What I Want Sweeps or upload it to Here's What I Want Sweeps.com for a chance to win $25,000. No purchase necessary. Click the banner for rules and a list of participants stores for sure well it's funny because i haven't i full disclosure i haven't watched much of the magic this year i'll turn them on live in little but i haven't really dug in a lot of the footage but what i remember from him in like chicago for instance was 
an offense that was designed to have Kirk Heinrich, you know, crossing guys over, getting in the lane and shooting floaters off the glass over like big men all over the place. Right. And um, it was ben always. Gordon. Ben Gordon was like his lead scorer every year. Yeah, you know, and you, you know, you look at those, you look at those, um, those shots that he he took, or he either he took or he had to take. It was kind of scary. So yeah, it's funny how you know he's a point guard, and you would think that like you know, offense and sort of five man units moving in concert together would be something that he'd be really up on. And then it's kind of the opposite. He's this defensive guy. Um, who never really played, wasn't like a defender, you know, you know, extraordinarily. The guy had 30 assists, but (laughs) he always seems to, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I should break that game down, by the way. (laughs) That means that you're good at offense. You can't get 30 assists and not be good at offense. Right, right. I mean, you know, he was shifty. You know, it, it's, it was actually impressive. There's a lot of guards like him at that era that didn't get to the NBA. So, you know, he was that shifty, tough kid. But, uh, um, you know, it's interesting. You're right. So so we'll have to find out because there's also this notion of, you know, you know, if you're playing on a bad team, that could also affect your shooting percentages. Yeah. You know. And I think the Magic aren't quite a bad team, but they don't have, especially on offense, they don't have the sort of, establish it's it's not as easy for the magic right now they're still figuring out what their what their offensive plan is and um you know that's actually a good transition to another team that kind of won uh the trade deadline which is the magic because they they opened up a crazy amount of salary cap space this in these moves okay now but what are they going to be able to offer in the offseason to sign to somebody isn't that the question you know know, they they have a nice stadium (laughs) <laughs> what they can do is they can say, we are one of the only teams, maybe the only team that with just a little bit of maneuvering can potentially bring in two true max players. Oh. And that's, they don't need to maneuver a lot. They already have about $45 million or so cleared, and they can just clear out like a little bit more. Suddenly you have enough room for two max free agents, which is a very rare thing. There's not that many max quality guys out there, though, this year. Right. So, you know, maybe I think the hope is, and, and Sean Devaney for Sporting News wrote today about they're, they're already looking into the possibility of maybe reuniting Al Horford and, and Joakim Noah. They're, they're interested in can they outbid the Warriors on Harrison Barnes or the Wizards on Bradley Beal. I don't think they know exactly what they want to do, but – they have a lot of options with that forty-five plus million dollars that they've basically lopped off the books in these two trades. Yeah, I mean it's weird because if they wanted to do Noah and Horford, well, what are they going to do with, with Vucevic? Because unless Noah's just willing to be a six-man at this point. Yeah, and by the way, yeah, with his injury issues and the way he plays, it's probably you know it's weird. We don't normally see like the well, I mean, we there, there's a typical big man that sort of I guess energy gets rebounds and blocks. I guess he is that guy. It's just weird to think of a former Defensive Player of the Year. You know, in yeah. Scott's in that starting lineup for all those times, like being like the bench, the microwave defender <laughs> off the bench. We are two years removed from Joakim Noah finishing fifth in MVP voting. Yeah. And no one's going to pay. No one's going to want to pay more than like 10 or 11, maybe 12 million a year for him. Well, I think he's been learning Spanish so he can say gracias to Pau Gasol for all that where he is now. <laughs> um, which, by the way, was probably the biggest shock to me that he didn't get traded um, you know, and we could talk about that for a second because I've been saying this for two years. Pau Gasol is that, you know, is that new car that you drive off a lot and it loses value every second that goes by. 
he's never going to be worth more to the, yesterday than he you know going into the future. So how could they possibly have not made a deal for him? I just I don't think that it, it was very strange, but expiring contracts did not move this deadline. No one wanted to pay anything for Dwight Howard. No one wanted to pay for Roy Hibbert. No one wanted to pay for Ryan Anderson. No one wanted to pay for Pau Gasol. Those guys just, for whatever reason, unlike most deadlines, when usually an expiring deal to a contender, a good player goes to a contender on an expiring deal, like that, that just happens every year. Right. This year, it didn't happen, and I, I'm not... I'm not entirely sure why. Well, I don't. I, I, I would think part of it is you know they don't. They, some teams may not want a rental, you know, and they, they sense that they're not going to stay. And you know they can definitely feel it out before they make a trade, saying, you know, if we did this, would you stay or would you even entertain that thought? Um, you know, like so I think that's what happened maybe with Dwight. Uh, for, I've, yeah. what, I've heard the birdies a little bit about how you know there there was an interesting offer from like the Bucks. And um, you know he 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 they just knew he wasn't gonna it'd be a rental and then the Bucks are out of everything. Yeah, and I think the Hornets might have reportedly the Hornets uh, offered Al Jefferson and Spencer Hawes, and that was all they were gonna offer for him. And uh, you know that's a crazy low value for Dwight Howard. With that said, I think they would have been willing to offer more if Dwight had been willing to guarantee them he didn't opt out of his contract. But why would Dwight do that? So that's and I. I you just, I think you're right. You don't want a rental and you don't want to give up a valuable piece for a rental. But usually some team feels like they're close enough that, right. giving, like, you know, usually that happens. And uh, it didn't happen this year. There was no, none of the contenders said, you know, we're one piece away. Other than the Clippers, kind of, with uh, Jeff Green. Uh, no one else said we we need a rental player. We need a we need one player, and we're going to win a championship with that one player. And that's probably smart because you don't usually win a championship with a rental player, right? And, and by the way, you're doing all the great segues for me because the Clippers are another team we should talk about with Lance Stevenson going. And it's so funny to me because I've been a, sort of anti Lance for years, even that last year in Indiana when he was when his numbers were good. But he drives me crazy from a coach's perspective because he's he's always sort of off balance and he's always doing his own song. You know, he never ever fits into what anybody wants to do. And, you know, everyone keeps thinking, oh, all he needs is this and then he'll be he'll get back to where he is. But not even Indiana wanted him back after they got rid of him, after the blowing in the ear of LeBron, that whole that whole thing. So what am I missing about him? Am I missing anything? He's basically a free safety. He's he's a guy who, like you said, he needs to be operating. He needs to be motivated, which he has not been. I think he might even admit that he has not put full effort in, not the same way he did in Indiana. But he also he's he doesn't fit into a system. He's just not a system guy. He is a guy who is a talented basketball player who could probably beat seventy-five to eighty percent of the NBA in one-on-one -on -one games. Okay, and. But he's a free safety, and he, he's a floater. And, and, you know, he's that guy who, to continue this football metaphor, will light up that player in, in the middle of the field, like who breaks through your, your, your first two lines of defense, and then he'll completely whiff on that deep ball pass that he should have, like, been there to stop. Mm -hmm. And you get really frustrated when you have guys like that, particularly when they're also not very disciplined off the court or in the locker room. And, you know, he, he has absolutely been a problem for every team he's been on in some capacity 
outside of what he does during games. And that's not a good sign when you're a guy like who already doesn't fit the system on the court. Right. Am I forgetting an incident in L.A.? Because I don't feel like it was pretty quiet here. It was pretty. It was pretty quiet in L.A. And and um, there were there were some talks that you know he wasn't connecting well with the you know the other players. But you're. I mean, the, the Clippers had their own circus going on, and I I wouldn't be surprised if certain things got missed. But I've gotten the impression. Well, certainly in Indiana, you know, he he literally fought Evan Turner. Right. As, as uh, we remember hearing about, and you know, he he had some other off-court stuff that clearly was just it wasn't the ideal situation for him. By the end, his his good play, I think, led to a bit of an ego. Yeah. And when you give a guy like that an ego, you know, it's you know what it is, Nick. It's New Yorkers, my uh, people. <laughs> <laughs> right. We well, have you know, egos. my ego is out of control. <laughs> <laughs> This holiday season, AT&T is giving away $25,000 just for telling them what great LG products you want this year. Stop by a participating AT&T store and snap a selfie holding up the LG products you want to get, like the LG B20 with 5.7-inch HD display and direct TV app to watch live TV. Then share your selfie on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag Here's What I Want Sweeps or upload it to Here's What I Want Sweeps.com for a chance to win $25,000. No purchase necessary. Click the banner for rules and a list of participants stores okay well that's good to know uh i will tread lightly i think uh you know as soon as you you make your own video touting yourself to be an all-star uh that that kind of makes the line crosses the line for me um so you know looking at what they did you know because lance has now been kind of tossed away and did you see um now the, the the he went to the grizzlies and i feel like the grizzlies all got together and said do not cut him even though they were going to, like he was just going to be another, you know, a, a scrap heap guy. What do you make of that? I, I think the Grizz. I think every player in the NBA knows how talented a guy like Lance is. If you talk when you talk to NBA players, and you know this, when you talk to guys, they like they they tend to gravitate toward the really talented guys even more than they gravitate toward the system guy. Like an NBA player appreciates Lance Stevenson more than maybe I don't want to use Redick as an example because he's not ideal, but hypothetically a lesser version of J.J. Redick or a Kent Bazemore, for instance. Okay. Everyone's really proud of what Kent Bazemore did in the NBA. Like, every teammate of his loves him. But there's also, like, Lance can do so many things that Kent Bazemore can't do. And they know it. And even though those things don't make sense in NBA games, players appreciate that individual skill set, I think, more than coaches do, okay. more than GMs do, more than we as, you know – probably overly intellectualized basketball fans do. <laughs> and uh, I think that's that's what's at the heart of that. Also, the fact is, right now, the Grizzlies are the scariest team assembled since the 80s Pistons. Okay, right. And who knows what's going to happen there because at some point, this notion of analytics and threes, whatever, it's going to get cracked. And if it will be by anybody, it, the Grizzlies would do it. But you know, it's going to fall people. <laughs> yeah, you know, because remember, what, what, whenever anybody asks me how you're supposed to guard Steph Curry, the first answer is you have to rough him up. You have to get him off his rhythm, get him in his head. You know, if you have to take a hard foul or two, take a hard foul without getting thrown out of the game. Or, or hey, they used to do this all the time: throw Greg Kite in there and hammer Kareem a bunch of times. Like, you could do that, and um, I think that that might go a long way toward disrupting that. Now, of course, with the rules and the way everyone wants the game, it would be interesting to see if it was clear that was happening, what would happen to the team. Like, you know, would the guy be allowed to even get that first foul in without getting thrown out right away? 
So, so all right, let's. I don't mean to wander too far off the trade deadline thing, but I think this is interesting. So one of the things everyone's talking about all season is, you know, 95-96 Bulls versus 2015-16 oh. Warriors. Now, my, my interpretation has always been in today's rules, the Warriors win. In, those, in the 90s rules, the Bulls win. And the reason is because Ron Harper would be all over Steph Curry the entire game. He would not let him get an open shot because – as soon as Steph crossed half court, which we think he still needs to cross half court. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, as soon as he crosses half court, Ron Harper is just going to glue himself to Steph's hip. And I wonder, like, how effective could a Steph Curry be if, for some reason, they decided that hand checks were legal again? You know, I, I really do wonder if he could handle that because I think such a big part of his, his, his skill is – finding ways to get himself open, and that's a lot harder when guys are basically grabbing you. Right. And remember, the thing with hand-checking, what people don't get is, is it's not like a forearm into your into your uh, waist. You could actually, if you had two fingers on the guy, you could pinch the guy at the waist, and you could hold him. It's yeah. weird, but I've had guys, you know, and when you're you know, the old veteran showing the tricks, it's really crazy how just two fingers on the guy right at a certain spot can really make it hard to move. Yeah. So you have it's a really like good point. where you put your... You put your finger on someone's forehead and they can't move their head forward even though it's just one finger because like one, like a little bit of pressure makes it so much harder to move and that's that's what they did and that's what made okay. what Michael Jordan was able to do efficiency-wise just unbelievable. Right, which also probably leads to the notion of why you had to do like mid-range. It feels like you needed to be able to get in and get some space and then but you you know they were starting at and the free push point off, line. Which everyone used to put and push off, which everyone used to push off all the time. So yeah, right. They've also done, you know, the counter to, well, no one's allowed to hand check anymore is they also have really cut back on pushing off. Right. They, they call offensive fouls on that a lot more than they used to. Fair enough. Well, here's my take on that is, you know, I, I have to imagine if it was going to be played in today's rules, they would give the Bulls three months to play some games to get used to that, right, or whatever. Scotty Pippen was a guy that didn't, wouldn't have had to rely on hand-checking, in my opinion. But all I can say is there's no way I would ever choose uh, against or go against a team that had Scotty and Michael on it in a seven-game series. Like, I, I just couldn't – I couldn't see that team, you know. Scotty would be able to guard Draymond. Uh, you, have, you have, you know, Harper could guard uh, uh, Steph, but so could Michael. And then Michael could guard Clay. Um, I don't know. I, I, would, I would have a hard time going against the, those two guys on a team uh, like, 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 like they had. And then you throw Rodman in the mix, and you know, then you get Rodman guarding um, Draymond, too. I mean, it, it would be Luke really Longley's intriguing. basically worthless, though, in Who? today's rules. Rodman like, Luke, is? No, Longley. Longley basically wouldn't, wouldn't be in the NBA right now, I don't think. Wait, Longley is just Bogut. No. Bogut's so much better than Longley. Two Australian seven-footers, I get it, but... I, I just I think that Bogut is a much more athletic and aggressive defender um, within the context of today's rules. He's a, he's a much better passer than Longley. And oh, I just, you, uh, well, okay, he's better. But remember, Longley was a good passer. He was a really right, good triangle right. offense. But but you're right, Bogut's better. But remember, Longley had a beautiful like 15 foot jump shot. He could yeah. spread out and shoot. Right, and I just I don't think that that matters anymore. I think, I think the the Warriors would run Luke Longley off the court with their small ball lineup, oh, which okay. would then put Rodman at center, 
and then Rodman at center versus Draymond at center is it, that's awesome. Like yeah. <laughs> I really want to see that. <laughs> Absolutely, but you know what? I think Longley is probably more like Mozgov. Let's just say. Sure, sure. sure. And Mozgov had some success, and like yeah, you know, if right. they could have, if they would have let Blatt coach in the finals, um, they would have. I think they would have been able to to find more of that. It was so frustrating watching Mozgov being able to get rolls to the basket and dunk on the smaller guys, and then like just sort of get lost, and they couldn't keep that rhythm up. Um, but you know that's that's a, another uh, evisceration for another day. Um, <laughs> what, what else do we have to talk about as far as the trades go? Because oh, I want to talk about OKC with Randy Foy because there was all this talk about how Denver really valued Foy and how um, they uh, you know they, they they wanted you know a lot in return. And yet, what what happened? We here's what we got. What was the trade? It was um, Augustin Novak and a second rounder for Foy. Yeah. So Augustine was already in the scrap heap because of Cameron uh, uh, Cameron. Pain, thank you. Um, you know, was playing well. Steve Novak did, probably didn't get break a sweat in the game for the last, you know, this year. Um, so how did that happen? Where they really were able to get him, get him for nothing? The bottom line is, and I really liked Randy Randy Foy for a while. Randy Foy is just not that good anymore. I mean, he's been four of the last five years, maybe even five of the last six years. He's been under forty percent from the field. His three point shooting has dropped off. And I'm just, uh, like, a little bit I, – I don't want to say he's washed up because I don't like using that term, but I get the sense that Randy Foy is simply just not an, a, a starting caliber player anymore. And he's, he's definitely I – don't, I don't know that he ever really was a good starter, but he's definitely not even a good six-man this year, based on this year's numbers where he's shooting 35% from the field, 29% on threes – those are you can't even play those numbers really. Okay, but now we get into the to the context. Is it possible? Because I've seen Randy Foy again in the in the past, like last year and the years before, be a very useful guard, a, a guy that could blend in. He could shoot threes. He could put the ball on the ground a little bit. And there were times when he could actually like score. Yeah. Uh, and so my mind suddenly shifts to okay, would they rather have a guy like him in the lineup, like the version that I'm thinking of, or a guy like Waiters in the lineup? Yeah, I mean, Waiters can put the ball in, on the floor and score. He just does everything else wrong. Right, <laughs> um, right. And you're right. Yeah, Foy, I mean, Foy doesn't have, uh, I don't know what the right word is for Waiters. Good, the good thing about Derek, uh, Deion Waiters. The good thing about Deion Waiters is that he has a lot of talent and has no idea how to harness it. So if you're Oklahoma City, you know, having Randy Foy as a way to push, teach, and, you know, keep Deion Waiters honest to some degree is a good thing. I think it's a good trade for them. I don't think they marketably got better because I don't know that the Randy Foy that you're remembering from just two years ago when he shot 38% from, the, from three, I don't know that that guy still exists. And I, it's sad to say because, you know, he's, he's 32 and that's a rough age for an NBA guard. Okay, because I'm picturing, you know, in that system with, you know, Russ and KD doing all the heavy lifting, in theory, he would get a lot of open shots and he'd get a lot of opportunities. And to me, he seems like he'd just blend in a lot more than, than Waiters. Like, Waiters is the guy, like, you ever remember, like, if you're in high school and you have a girlfriend and your best friend's always hanging out with you and you just, you just wish he'd go because you'd get a lot farther <laughs> with her? You know, it's like, that's what KD and Russ are. And then, you know, Waiters is the guy who still thinks he's got a shot <laughs> at the girl. And you're like, dude, 
you know. And so it's like he still tries to make his imprint, you know. This is cold, but yeah, so you're you're 100 right. So. Right, you know, it's like 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 I'm the kind of guy when I was watching the Lakers. I, I, this, this, I don't know why this comes in my mind, but when the Lakers won their first of the three with Shaq and Kobe, and they had Glenn Rice. Remember Glenn Rice? Yes, I love Glenn Rice. Well, Charlotte, we love Glenn Rice, but when he got to the Lakers, he like thought he could dribble the ball, yeah, and I, if he had just did those lifts from the corner to the wing and caught it and shot, like he would be his, the NBA jam. You're on fire, with Glenn Rice. But instead, he kept trying to put the ball to the ground. And I'm like, they should trade Glenn Rice for Steve Kerr right now. Like, and they would, they would have had an easier path to the championship. So that's what I'm looking at. I'm like, gosh, if they would just get someone like Randy Foy in there who's going to you know, um, fit in a lot better and, and compliment. Um, you know. Randy, Randy Foy, when he was younger, actually did some of the stuff that Waiters tries to do. He was, he was a much bigger... I'm going to, you know, I played point guard at Villanova. I'm, I was an All-American. I was the number six pick in the draft. Um, Wait, you seriously remember that off the top of your head? I'm sorry. Yeah, I have a really weird memory. I can do the entire, like that, that draft in particular. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> which which he draft was, right was behind that? Sheldon Williams. Uh, Sheldon Williams went fifth for some reason. And Foy went, it was 2006. Uh, it was Bargnani, Aldridge, oh. Morrison, Tyrus Thomas, Sheldon Williams, Randy Foy, uh, I got this, uh, Brandon Roy, uh, number seven, uh, number eight was uh, Rudy Gay, um, Patrick O'Brien, and uh, Sire Sene was 10, I believe. Holy moly, that's amazing. <laughs> that was, was that like the Aflalo and uh, Jordan Farmar draft, or is that? Uh, Aflalo, it was a Farmar, Aflalo was the next year, because... Um, oh. uh, yeah, but yeah, I got them all right. Yay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Because, you know, the funny, a little funny uh, tidbit about me was I coached Jordan Farmar in high school for the first year and a half. And when then he went to UCLA, we were watching, and it was, I never understood why he was rated higher than Aflalo simply because of what you said about talent and physical. Like, you look at Aflalo and he's chiseled and he can play defense and he's 6'6. And Jordan was, you know, six feet in, in shoes and, and wasn't quick and, you know, the shot was okay. Uh, and yet he continually was rated higher, and I never under. And, and here we are, by the way, nine or ten years in, and Aflalo is still doing his thing in New York, and you know Jordan hasn't played in the league for a couple of years. Funny thing about Jordan Farmar, he can jump out the gym. Yeah, his, his well, vertical, yeah. his vertical was enormous. I got to talk to him because um, when he was in the middle of his sophomore year of high school, he could kind of grab the rim, but he would miss every dunk. And, and he was then, what, six feet tall. Yeah, but by then he was probably five ten. He probably was even yeah. shorter. <laughs> So, I mean, that was okay, but we had, we had kids who were 5'10 or 5'11 who could do that. Like, I grabbed the rim and missed the dunk when they kept trying to put it down. But that was probably, like, January of that year. And then by, Ju- by July or August, I went to go see him in a summer league game with the, the team he transferred to another team. And he was literally going in the middle and just dunking on people with his teeth. And I've never seen it, uh, somebody go in that short a time. And I guess it happens, you mature and you grow a little bit or whatever, but it was startling to see. 42-inch vertical. The only thing with that is, is that – Here's the thing. If, when you want to do the testing of the vertical, and I've been to the combine, you see them. They're like, okay, are you ready? Okay, hang on now. Let me get, I'm going I'm to really gather up all my energy and do it. Yeah, that's great. You can get to 42 inches. But when you're going full speed in the game and you have to be able to lift off of one foot yes. and finish, 
that was when you never you didn't really see the 42 inch vertical, right. which is natural to not see that. But um, I felt like he never really. I never saw the that benefit. I mean, I know he dunked like maybe on on Garnett once uh, on a on a cool play. He was kind of behind him, but we never got a chance to see that as much in the games. Yeah, I agree. I actually have a uh, one more trade that I wanted to talk about because I want your opinion on uh, Markeith Morris and what it would be like to coach a guy like that. Oh now my that goodness. he's on the Wizards. You know, at my level, at the high school level, you know, we 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 have the same issues where there's a kid who's really talented, but he's such a jerk. And he doesn't work hard, and he just infects the whole team. And you think, oh, we just got to keep him because he's so good, and you know, whatever. And I remember that happened one year with a kid, and we cut him finally, and we just took off. The team just started playing like a team, and we were beating everybody. It was great. It was fun. So you know, here's a guy who you know. Can you blame the guy for being as upset as he ended up being? I, I really don't, and that's I'm I'm unique in this way. And Suns fans wanted to kill me. Because I kind of took Markeith Morris aside. He signed that contract with his brother. Right. They did it together, and the Suns basically promised them that that was going to that, that be the arrangement. That they were going to get to play out their years together. And mm. I have a hard time blaming him for that. I have a really easy time blaming him for everything that happened this year. Okay. Because you don't take out those frustrations by throwing a towel at a coach who had nothing to do with the trade. You don't take out those frustrations by getting into a fight with a teammate and that felony assault charge is just weird. Yeah. And I, I don't really even understand exactly what's going on with that. It sounds like it's there's the the charge is still being delayed and going through various courts, but Yeah. You know what? You're going to have to you have to remind me of what that is. What was the charge? Yeah. Uh, one of his one of the Morris twins mentors accused that both Morris twins and a couple of their friends of basically jumping him because of uh, I, I believe in the in the uh, court statement, he said that they thought that he had slept with their mother. Um, I believe that was the situation. Okay. So apparently, then he says that they then jumped him for it, and um, it's still it's still it's still up in the air. The Morris twins very, very strongly dispute it. Oh. Uh, I don't know exactly what it was. I do know that Markeith Morris definitely has some anger issues that he has taken out on fans. Um, he has been sharply critical of Suns fans. He has been sharply critical of his team. And he has, like I said, gotten into a fight with teammate, a teammate, an Archie Goodwin, and gotten in, thrown a towel at his coach in the middle of a game, which there's some issues there. And I worry about what he might end up doing to the Wizards' chemistry if, if he brings that attitude to Washington. Am I correct in saying, um, oh my goodness, I was looking at how old he was, because he's 26. He's not like a spring chicken here. Um, and, and so, I mean, the other issue I think is um, he, got, he took less money, right? I feel like yeah, when they. A lot less money. Right. He so got, when they paid his brothers, the brothers together, they, you know, he, he took a break on the salary, and his brother, uh, Mark, uh, Marcus, got a little bit more maybe than he would have, right? That's sort of the idea. I so what actually really happened was they both took break. I mean, okay. Marcus probably got the fair amount. Marcus got like four and a half or something like that. Um, they share a bank account, so it really doesn't matter to them. But uh, I want to double check the numbers, but I believe basically like Marcus Morris got about the fair amount and right. Marquis could have probably leveraged to a lot more than he did. Okay. And um, now, he's a, 
He was a very good player. Yeah, and then that, so to me, that was the crux of the matter. I mean, I know the brothers wanted to play together, but I also feel like all of a sudden he's like, I gave about millions of dollars more or whatever it was, maybe a million or two, whatever it was, and that would really be frustrating. Um, and so, yeah, it's just one of those, oh, he needs to change his scenery, like maybe. Oh, I know. I think I was correct in thinking that that fight he had with Archie Goodwin was Archie Goodwin's fault. Am I crazy in saying that? Possibly, but I think he punched him. Right. Uh, it's always the victim's fault, right? Uh, no. Um, yeah, fair enough. You, and I, he swiped at him whenever he did. I saw that. Supposedly, Archie was being instigating. I don't remember. I, I read one little tidbit, so I'm, I shouldn't even be commenting because I don't know. But um, either way, it was bad. And, you know, the interesting thing with the whole Hornacek thing was I was always amazed with that first year when they won the 47 games, 48 47? Yeah, 48, uh, 47, 48, yeah. Yeah, when they won that year, like their offense was like spread it out and let everyone go one-on-one. That's what it looked like to me. And I was, part of me was like, oh, that's great. You can empower your players to be able to do that and show off, show off what they do. But part of me was like, geez, like can, can this could be sustainable, you know? Because part of it isn't that, like, we talk about Lance in the same breath. What we have to remember is that, you know, Lance might score some points or do some stuff, but he's got four other teammates on the court with him. And when he does the dumb thing, like tries to go through his legs five times and dribbles off his foot or whatever, that engenders ill will. <laughs> and enough times, that's, that becomes a, a thing where I think people overlook that and look at just like the numbers and the production when the in-between stuff can really, you know, you know, even when you're playing pickup, it's frustrating, right? Yeah, yeah. And when you're playing with a guy like Chris Paul, <laughs> you know, I, I played with a guy like that in high school, and it, it wasn't it wasn't fun. And even though the guy was, you know, just like Chris Paul at, at that level, but just a jerk in, in, in his way of, you know, motivating, he was a jerk, right? right. Um, I, again, Chris Paul still has to be the gold standard for point guards, though, right? He, I, I am a huge believer that Chris Paul is a not just a great player now, but an all-time great player. With that said... I feel like Chris Paul is one of the most demanding teammates that we've ever seen in the NBA. And I think that can be a good thing. I also think that can be a bad thing. I think we almost saw it, them, that play a major role in costing them DeAndre Jordan. That They basically admitted that that played a major role in them almost losing DeAndre Jordan. So when you, when you mix in a guy like Lance Stevenson into that, that can... I imagine that there that there were times where that was not the prettiest thing because Lance oh. took a lot of bad jumpers this year. Oh yeah! By the way, you throw in a guy like uh, Josh Smith, anybody? Yeah. You know. Yeah. So you know, yeah, you're right. That's a bit of a mess. And so now they got um, who did they get? What did the Jeff the, Green the, the Clippers do? They got Jeff Green. They got rid of Lance. So Jeff Green is another uh, favorite. Uh, a player of mine to really criticize because you know his footwork is just out of uh, just bizarre and bad and you know he seems like he just gets you <laughs> bizarre know, and bad <laughs> yeah it's bizarre and bad like you know and like cause listen the off-footed layup is a thing now it's new fundamentals everyone needs to know but you can tell when a guy does it without having practiced it before and there's no question in my mind that Jeff Green does that. And if he does practice it, he doesn't do it enough. <laughs> so, one of Jeff Green's most maybe maybe Jeff Green's most famous shot was uh, when he was at Georgetown, and they beat Vanderbilt on a really awkward should have been a walk, should have yeah. been a travel uh, layup that was off the wrong foot, and it was awkward. It was so awkward, and it was so blatantly a travel, but the refs, like, couldn't – it was so awkward and bad to look at that I think the refs, like, 
couldn't fathom what they were seeing because it was so clumsy. <laughs> and the shot went in, and you know it ended up costing Vanderbilt a trip, I believe, to the Final Four, or maybe at least the Elite Eight. And that's like one of his most – that's a signature Jeff Green moment. And he was taken fifth overall, and you're right, he's never had good footwork. He's never – He's never known how to harness the scoring things he does well right. with any other facet of basketball. And I really, like, I love his story. The fact that he's gotten over that heart issue is really great, and it's great to see him out there. And when he's on fire, he's really on fire. Right. Sometimes he's hard to watch. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's some sort of notion of, like, focus that he has issues with. And you can see it, like, even on his face sometimes. He just doesn't seem engage and connected and by the way it could very well be a thing that could be you know medication boom you're, you're focused again but you know sometimes it, we've seen with players like you know chris Kamen who was able to overcome some issues and then decided not to take the uh, the medication and now he's doesn't play anymore um and so i don't know what jeff green's issue is but it looks like it's spatial where like on the weak side on defense he just doesn't always know where he needs to be and so he's tantalizing right he'll have a four game stretch where he'll average 25 a game and look great and um, and then you know he goes downhill, and of course on a good team, you know. But then again, he's been on a good team, um, and so it's hard to know what you're going to get. I don't think he's going to move the needle, but is it was it worth just having Lance out of the equation now? I don't. I, like I said, I haven't heard any specific things that Lance was a big problem. The way Josh Smith clashed right. with uh, Doc. With that said, you know. It's one of those things where the Clippers are just desperate for a wing player to step up alongside J.J. Redick. It's amazing how much they've missed Matt Barnes, which is yeah. a crazy thing to say because while Matt Barnes is a good player, he's not a great player. Even He's not even a great role player, but they miss him a lot because they have not – I mean, they, they were starting Luke Mbamute, and Wait I really minute. love Luke Mbamute as a – defensive player who's your ninth guy off the, who's the ninth guy on your roster but starting in 2016 I, I hear you but for what he's doing I gotta tell you I want to give it up to to Mbaba Mute because yeah yeah the prince yeah, yeah right he's really he is giving all he's going all out he's actually been a, a very effective defensively I yeah. saw him hit a corner three last night so um you know, I mean, there was nobody within, you know. About, I like the I was, way you worded that. You were like, I even watched him hit a corner three. <laughs> right. And by the way, there, there was, it was on the break and there was nobody within 20 feet of him. But still, he hit it. He, I mean, that's what they need. They need someone to somewhat replace what Matt Barnes does. And you're right. Mbamute is a good defender. He's just not a good offensive player. And he never has been. And, you know, he's trying. Like you said, he, he doesn't take a lot of threes. But he's actually he's shooting forty percent from three this year, and that's that's what they need him to do. Yeah, hit the open, hit the open ones. Yeah, so I'm glad to see him getting a shot and, and doing something in there. Um, so um, you know that that is I, I just I like players like that. You know, like they're unheralded, no one to give them a shot. And Doc was like, eh, get in there. Like you know, I'm sure one one of those games, <laughs> whatever it was, and he did something, and next thing you know, he's got a plan. Probably the same with Cole Aldridge. So the weird thing is, is now, you know, Doc had been heralded for the moves that he couldn't have made, and then he somehow made them because of the, the salary cap somehow opened up for him. And now here we are where Lance and Josh Smith are both gone, not even after the, the, the full year of having them. So, you know, it's a real interesting thing. Do you think the Clippers have any hope here? They have the hope of making the Western Conference Finals. I think that they could 
beat the Spurs again. It would. I don't think they will. I think the Spurs have improved in a lot of ways, but I think that they could beat the Spurs. I think that getting the three seed will be very difficult because Oklahoma City's better than them, and that's the ultimate hurdle because they're simply put, like they're not beating the Warriors. <laughs> Right. The, uh, Warriors, and, the Warriors came back from a 30-point deficit against the Clippers already this season. You're not, they're not beating the Warriors. Yeah. Uh, right. Even though, right, everyone wants to point to those, I think, two games where they were, they were very competitive. Um, I, I agree. I mean, they're, they're not going to get the third spot. They're going to be either fourth or fifth. And, you know, can they get through the, the second round? Sure. But you're right. I, I just don't see that happening. And that's the question of what they're going to do about that team because – how many more years do you want to waste? You know, be, you know, while the Warriors continue to be good, and the Spurs probably have at least one more year out of this. Although, you know, once Duncan goes and Manu, um, that's going to be interesting to see if they can replace any of that. It will be. This is really the Clippers' year. This should have been the Clippers' year. That like, coming into the season, it seemed like this had to be the Clippers' year. If right. this wasn't going to be the Clippers' year, when was the Clippers' year going to come? Right, six exactly. Foot, six foot point guards don't get better in their thirties. <laughs> right, and I and like again, I love Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul is an all time great. I have a hard time believing that he's going to be an effective thirty four year old. Right, I agree, and I think well, it actually, you know what, he's still got that. You know, he'll be able to be effective. I think. Good, yeah, you're. I, that's overstating it. Yeah, I have a hard time believing he will be a top three point guard as a thirty four year old. Right. Okay. Because right now he's still doing his thing and he's yeah. still controlling the game. He's a bulldog who doesn't relent ever and makes the smartest plays in basketball. But he, yeah, once he loses a step, he's gonna really he's gonna turn into a much more typical point guard if he loses one step. And I think uh, six foot point guards don't age well normally. Totally. So yeah, so you're right. This, this is gonna probably be it. You know, it, I don't even care about the Blake Griffin thing because again, whatever that was, it, it was. It's over. <laughs> like that wouldn't affect anybody on the court. I don't think uh, oh. necessarily. You know, they're not gonna be holding it against him too much. It looks like they they kissed and made up. So um, I, I agree. And it's weird because I keep wanting to say, yeah, Blake Griffin is is the guy that they could trade. But then you remember that when like Chris Paul was out, he was basically running the show, and he was great at that. Um, I, I, it's a confusing thing, and, I, and there are times when I like their offense. It's clever, and they have some great motion, but I just can't figure it out. Like they just don't. It's just not. It's just not there. They're not gonna. They're not a title contender, right? Yeah, I believe. I mean, I believe their offense can be summed up as Chris Paul and Blake Griffin are great players. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, certainly that's how stretch. I'd sum up their offense at least. Right. But they, they'll, they, when they get the, you know, they'll get the Reddick stuff going, floppies, yeah. and they'll do horns and stuff. And there's some, you know, there's some clever, interesting things. They but have, you're right. Reddick is the perfect player for them, but um, they wish they could have two of him. Right. <laughs> like, the ultimate. <laughs> like if they had a Reddick on uh, OKC, like that would be really interesting to see as well. And they, you know, I guess Singler was the guy they were hoping to do that, but he's just not. You know, he's slower than Reddick is, and it just doesn't really, you know, they can't, he can't get her around those, those screens. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting thing, but again, you're right. Are people, I think the reason why the trade deadline was a little bit um, met this year was probably because I think people are kind of, are they conceding the title at this point to either the Spurs or the Warriors? I am trying so hard not to. Um, I, I still think the Cavs can win it. I'm, I'm, I know I'm becoming more and more in the minority, but I don't like the idea of just conceding. Um, 
certainly the Warriors are the favorites. I think the Cavs can hang with the Spurs. I think the Cavs can hang with the Warriors in a seven-game series when LeBron turns it up all the way. And I feel like we sometimes forget that he will do that. Right. <laughs> that LeBron can do that and he will do that. And uh, if he if he goes into full-on LeBron mode, a lot of people think that's what he was in the finals last year. But if he's in full-on LeBron mode and Kyrie and Love are healthy, he's going to play with a much more LeBron style. He's not going to take every shot. He right. played like Kobe in the finals last year. That's not LeBron's ideal game. So when we see the full-strength Cavs going in a seven-game series... I think we see a very different LeBron. I think we see better defense than he played last year in the finals. Um, you know, that's why I still think they're a scary team. And I think that anyone who's just willing to throw them away as like an afterthought is making a mistake. That said, don't really see it in the cards for the Thunder. Don't really see it in the cards for the Clippers. And definitely don't see it in the cards for anyone else. Right. I agree. I agree. And uh, it's interesting because it's rare that we have uh, a, a team like this you know, it, it doesn't happen that often. Uh, but then again, if you watch like the Cavaliers last night, yeah, they, they were they were they're good. <laughs> they are really good, and they have a lot of pieces to play with, especially with Channing Fry there, uh, which we haven't even talked about. Um, I I thought that Channing Fry, yeah, that should have gone to the Clippers. Uh, he would have been a guy that would have helped them. He should have been the guy that before they got Hawes. Uh, Channing Channing Fry was the guy they should have gotten to begin with. Yeah. Well, the Magic. Like did a crazy overpay on Channing Fry, for no reason. Um, right. I guess he was a good veteran to have around. He's actually Tobias Harris's cousin, so that was probably a nice thing for them. But uh, um, well, it shows you how well that worked for Tobias Harris too. <laughs> right. So I mean, it it never really made sense why the Magic were of all teams paid so much for a guy who should just be on a contender every year because he's the perfect role player for a contender. But um, right. now he is on a contender, and now he's going to be a very good player, I think, for, for the, a very good team. And he's gonna, I think he'll supplant Mozgov because Mozgov has just played terribly this year. Ooh, that's interesting. Okay, I mean, yeah, you think... I know you're a Mozgov guy, so... I, 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 I do, I think I like him, <laughs> I, you know? He seems to have skills. That's, it's not that he's... All right, he hasn't played terrible for the average... Backup center, he has played terrible for what we expected out of Timothy Mozgov in a contract year. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it's it, yeah, uh, and especially with the whole thing that happened with Blatt and the thing. It's like that's the one thing you look at when you're talking about like when I've seen the Cavs play enough times this year. It's like there's something off, and it's like he just doesn't fit. Like you know, they, they're still trying to struggle to find that uh, to what what it is that's going to make that supercharged, you know, electrifying lineup that's going to really work. Um, and it's too bad because you're right. In a contract year, this was a chance to you know show something on a good team, and and he's not doing it. He is not. Well, speaking of what's doing it for us, let's take a few minutes and talk a little bit about some music because uh, it's always delightful to find other people who are uh, as dedicated to that as uh, as I get, I suppose I am on Twitter. Um, and you know, I guess we were talking originally before that on Twitter about. Um, Alt-rock, I suppose. Is that what we would call it these days? I don't even know. I'm terrible at naming genres. Okay. I don't know. I listen to things. I listen to a lot of... I listen to a lot of music, and I sometimes just, like... It's either rap or it's not rap. Ah, okay. <laughs> I can usually tell the difference. These days, it's harder to even tell the difference between rap and not rap. I mean, you listen to Kanye's album, 
some tr- some songs literally don't have anything that sounds like Nas. Let's just say, if 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 Nas is a prototype rapper, there's m- most of Kanye's album does not have anything that sounds like that. Right. So, well, what, from my point of view, going up in you know in the '80s and in the, in the '90s, you know my the rap as a basketball player, you had to be into rap. Like that sort of had to be. <laughs> if you didn't like it, you were going to be in trouble because it was going to be everywhere you were. And, you were in LA, right? Uh, in Chicago. Oh, you were in Chicago. Yeah. Okay. However, we were a big West Coast thing. So, like, Ice T was huge, right? Uh, that's what we listened to a whole lot of. Uh, you know, but for me, it was like Run DMC, Raising Hell was like the, the seminal yeah. album. Love, that, you love know. Run DMC. I mean, I'm, I'm a little older than you, I think, right? So, uh, when did you graduate from high school? Uh, 2005. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit older. So, <laughs> um, you know, so you're, you but know. I, very, very. I love 80s music. I think 80s music gets so criminally underrated. I mean, oh, they had Prince. You guys had Prince. Oh, Prince wait, wait. The- I mean, yeah, it goes. But we had Prince. We had, um, you know, Paul Simon doing stuff. I mean, you, you, people said uh, the, the 70s tends to get a, a short shrift as well, saying that the music sucked there. But when you look at it, it's like you had, well, first of all, you had Paul Simon. Then you had Led Zeppelin. You had, um, um, oh, my God. I used to have this big argument because there were so many great bands that were in the 70s that, like, people sort of dismissed. I've- I think the '70s is the best decade for music, personally. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. So, and I think I think the '90s, the '70s, and the '80s are all better than the 2000s for sure. Uh, but the I, '90s, I think, we had some struggles in the '90s, though. Unfortunately, you know, you're talking. I about, like. I mean, as a big rap fan. Oh, rap okay. In the '90s. Okay, um, fair enough. Rock was all over the place in the '90s, <laughs> but rap. Uh, I, I so, but in the '80s, I mean, there were there were. There, there's so much music in the '80s that people don't even like really realize is out there. Like a lot of the, a lot of the scene, like My Bloody Valentine's early music, and you know, um, uh, Echo and the Bunny Men. Oh yeah. My friends don't know who Echo and the Bunny Men are, and I bet they'd like them, but they just don't know who they are. They didn't. Yeah. Oh, what, what I like is like a lot of the sort of scary music back then is like light <laughs> rock now. So yeah. listen to like the Smiths. <laughs> Or, yeah. um, you know, Echo and the Bunny Men, now, that's not a great example, but who else was like that? That was like, oh, they're punk, or they're like, you know, oh, you're scary. Sounds and like it was youth to a degree. Yeah, you know, it's oh, well, I went like to Wisconsin, heavy. so I had to deal with Westerberg and, um, and all the whole Minnesota scene, um, which was a little bit frustrating because some of it was, was you know, I didn't like as much. But then that, that does talk to us a little bit about, um, we were talking about, um, uh, Oh my God, Jeff Tweedy and um, yeah, Uncle Tupelo. Which, how did you discover them? Um, you know, honestly, when like I said, I grew up almost exclusively listening to to rap until I was out of high school. Uh, in college, I started listening to more rock and and found Wilco. And then, you know, you kind of want to see where where I'm a sort of a completist. I like having at least listened to everything that by my favorite artists. So. You know, you discover. I, I discovered Wilco. Really fell in love with Summer Teeth in particular, their uh, their third album, and uh, went back, listened to the Uncle Tupelo stuff. And um, the best way I can put it is, I don't listen to a whole lot of country music, but that's country music. And I I listen to to uh, them. I listen to. I'm, I'm listening to a little more country now. Uh, I, I like a, a couple of the modern alt alt country types, like uh, um, Jason Isbell and uh, uh, James McMur- Mc- McMurtry. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, so I've started to, you know, I think in a way Wilco kind of opened my my ears to that kind of music. And there's a lot of good alt country out there right now. So, huh? I got to check some more of it out because I've been I'm stuck in, you know, I have a daughter who's 11. So I get to hear, you know, Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber all the time. <laughs> Taylor, um, like you said, Taylor Swift, not bad. Yeah, it's not comparable to I'll take her over Katy Perry or Justin Bieber any day. You know, it's funny. I talk to my kids. I'm like, you know, I'm Katie Perry. A lot of hate if the Bieber fans <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because we're we're talking about like, well, you know, who is he singing to? Is he singing to Selena Gomez? He must be right when he's saying, you know, first he wants to apologize to her, and then he wants her to go, you know, go fuck off or whatever he's telling her about. You know, she's so if she thinks she's that pretty, um, and and it's interesting how that works. I don't think that that music is different. I feel like that music has been around ever since you know the '80s anyway. Like it's just sort of rehashed. As soon as as soon as they started putting songs on the radio, I think there was a Justin Bieber out there at any given time, and you know it was uh, a lot of the, what's funny about those acts, and this is this is an important thing that I think a lot of people need to understand. If you look back at the '70s and the '80s, like all right, my, you need to be a Michael Jackson Prince level person, but like there are a lot of '80s pop bands and groups and singers who did not last. Who, who no one now cares about and who had no artistic credibility. So like in the 60s, for instance, when we talk about the 60s, we talk way more about Velvet Underground than we do about... The Turtles? Sure, the Turtles. And <laughs> yeah. the Turtles were way more popular in the 60s. Right. So all these people who get frustrated that Justin Bieber has fans now need to realize that in 30 years, no one's going to be talking about that. Well, that, that's the other thing is... I think unless, we... he, unless he transcends the way Michael Jackson did, which... I'm not holding my breath. Right. Well, <laughs> right. And you never know. He might. But um, the, the other thing is, like, with the 50s, when I was growing up, so the 80s to you is with the 50s to me, right? That's almost the same time frame in a way that, like, my daughter, 11, just went to a roller skating party, an 80s roller skating party, and they played all 80s music. And I had a 50s party when I was that age. So it's the same thing. So, But you get this impression that the 50s had amazing music all over the place. But that's not true. What we're getting is the completely, you know, yeah. um, refined sure. version of all that. All the best. Yeah. And so, yeah, it seems that way, but I'm sure in the 50s they had to put up with a lot of horrible stuff. Um, so the only question now is, is like, is there more horrible stuff now? But, you know, the night, like when I was, you know, going into college and stuff, we had, I mean, we had some interesting stuff and we had to deal with, um, you know, Funky Cold Medina and like, uh, who's that? Uh, Tone, no, who's that? Tone Loke. Tone Loke. You know, like that was the kind of stuff we had to deal with. Or even I saw the sign, you know, and um, who was that Madonna imitator? Um, oh God! Uh, I saw the sign. That's uh, I have no idea who did that song. Uh, so um, we're gonna kick ourselves once I figure out who it is. But <laughs> with that said, yeah, like I mean, I agree with your basic point, and I think you know to to give you a, a you know a, a similar example, the Backstreet Boys might oh. might have one or two songs that people remember the way the Turtles have "Happy Together." You know, mm -hmm. there might be a Backstreet Boys song that people remember in 20 years, other than the people who grew up with it. That that people, 20 year olds in 20 years are gonna know, maybe I, you know, one to two Back Backstreet Boys songs. They're not gonna know a single 98 Degrees song, or any of those other boy bands. Those are just gonna wash away. Those right. will be erased from collective memories, and they'll be like you're, you're you know some kid's mom who is was born in 1989 is going to tell her kid my favorite band growing up was in sync and they're going to be like 
wasn't that the group that that actor Justin Timberlake was in for a little <laughs> bit? Like, that's going to be the reaction. I'm not going like, to... Right. And that's, you know, when you talk about Justin Bieber, when you talk about Selena Gomez and all that, just remember that they're probably not going to be the artistically relevant people in, from our era in 20 years. Right, right, right. And then it, it, to get it back to rap even, like, the, the, the rap that I gravitated towards would have been... It had to have musical value. And we had a, a stretch there where it was just, it was not a lot. It was like either just a drum beat and rapping and like not a lot of other, you know, production value there. But, you know, then we had, you know, Tribe Called Quest came in um, and they started doing stuff that was really exciting. So that was like my college as we go to after parties and we listen to that. Um, also my college because Tribe never dies. Oh, really? Well, that's good to know. Um, <laughs> because I feel like the other band, um, oh God, De La Soul, like they disappeared, didn't they? Uh, they actually, they, they're more, if you're really into rap, you you love every De La Soul album, but they definitely didn't permeate the culture the same way Tribe did. Okay, right. And like, but even now, are they still around at all? Or? I mean, they they have, I believe, officially disbanded. Um, they were talking about possibly putting something out. Yeah. I don't know exactly, but uh, unlike Tribe, they didn't actually break up. So... Yes. I love De La Soul. I have all their out, literally every album they made. So yeah. I mean, I remember when that came out. Like that's how that's how cool I am, right? Like we were at a party, like someone's playing this new CD. We're yeah. like, whoa, you know, it was that was great. And like you know, and that was that whole era of like sampling was really big and yeah. taking stuff. And that what was cool about that, maybe not to the original artists who maybe weren't getting any money from it, but you could then go backwards and find yeah. the original music they used. And that was also very exciting in a way that um, I, I feel like we don't have that kind of stuff happening as much. It, Kanye might do that a little bit, right? Yeah. Or he, did, Kanye, he still do that? Kanye is a big crate digger. Um, sampling has definitely gone away from in rap because it's expensive, because they now make them clear it. Right. Uh, that, that changed in... Actually, Vanilla Ice is, is probably the biggest... Unfortunately, he's probably the biggest reason, because he just blatantly ripped off that Queen and... Uh, Queen uh, under pressure. He ripped off under pressure for Ice Ice Baby, and hey, he added it, one more note in the in yeah. the baseline. <laughs> and that that lawsuit was one of the biggest. Uh, him and Biz Marquis, if you remember Biz, you got what they I both mean? had major lawsuits against them for sample clearance, and that okay. basically killed free sampling. So now, rap rap is probably the genre that is most affected by the internet because now anyone sitting here with a mic as good as the one I'm using for this podcast can go open up like a very simple production tool like Pro Tools uh just a you know a free version of that Fruity Loops or whatever make a rap beat using like two synth lines an auto drum and a little bit of bass make a beat record themselves rapping over it and call it a mixtape <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and I mean, uh, if, which, if it's that easy, why bother with the more difficult stuff like finding that 1963 soul sample that no one had ever heard of before, cutting it up, paying for the rights to use it, and then, you know, making a really intricate beat and not on. Not enough people are doing that. Well, the dumb thing is, is what those guys, the original artists should realize is that it would help increase their sales as well and their relevance. And they don't understand that. So when you use like a, a, the Eagles on YouTube and they like take it down because they're old and they don't understand what's going on, it's like it's ridiculous. Uh, now, let me ask you this then, because in that context, why, and I'm going to swear here because this is how upset I am, why the fuck isn't Ed Sheeran getting sued by the Marvin Gaye estate for this song Evergreen or whatever the song is called. Do you know what song? It, it, it's Let's Get It yeah. On. Yeah, I mean, 
no one says anything about it, right? No one's realized it. It's the same. I play the guitar. It's the same chord progression. And, you know, I, maybe it's because Marvin Gaye's not alive anymore, but someone should be out Gaye's there. Marvin Gaye's is actually suing um, Robin Thicke. Oh, yeah. Well, they should do that, too. For, uh, for Blurred Lines. And I wouldn't be surprised if they ever actually did go and sue Ed Sheeran because, yeah, he's, he's ripping them. But, right? Uh, like, the second I heard it, you know what? It was funny. We were, like, on a trip, a family trip, and there was, like, a guy, like, playing guitar, like, for everybody. And he started to play it. I'm like, oh, he's, let's get it on. And then he starts singing about, you know, uh, Evergreen, whatever. It's like, what is this? You know, it was crazy. Uh, I always find that fascinating that, like, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone's recognized that. I think that's the issue. Weird. I think, I, I think that there are a lot of people who are doing stuff like that behind the scenes and it just doesn't get public all the time. But, huh. you know, the music industry is very weird and very greedy and no one's going to miss a chance to make some money. So, Right. Well, <laughs> you also could be describing the NBA uh, <laughs> internet experience as well. Weird and creepy. Uh, every once in a while, someone comes out with a great thing that we can all enjoy. Um, speaking Hopefully of which... This podcast is one. Yes, absolutely. This is a masterpiece. <laughs> I um, hope anyone who's still listening at this point has really enjoyed this weird, creepy podcast. <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, with, with all the ways they can listen to it now on our mobile app and, uh, you know, on Blog Talk, there's lots of places. So you never know. They're driving, to, you know, they're making a nice long commute from the, to, their, to and from their work. They'll get this far. Um, by the way, really quickly, have you heard the, um, the um, whatchamacallit, the uh, acapella version of Under Pressure, speaking of Under Pressure? I've probably heard I've heard a lot of acapella versions of a lot of songs, so I probably have. Yes. Okay, because I just discovered that one recently, and uh, it's amazing. And I've heard that there's a lot of Marvin Gaye stuff out there. I got to try and track down because that's the the whole new genre for me that you can you know get this just the voice tracks, and uh, it's amazing stuff. So I'll, I'll check that out. Make sure I've heard it. You got it. Well, Adi, I can't thank you enough for joining us on this podcast. You'll have to come on again, and we'll talk even more in the future about stuff because this was fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Thanks for having me. You got it. And let's all give thanks to our uh, our sponsor, No Halftime. Don't forget to download their mobile app because you can do – it's really cool, Adi. You like it. You can do uh, one-on-one fantasy daily. So you can choose like Harden versus Dwight uh, if you wanted to. <laughs> you know. So Yeah, the, the Rockets choose that every day. <laughs> that, that is, <laughs> right. Well, thanks for joining us so much. I can't appreciate it enough. And uh, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? You in, Adi? I am in. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal art. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. 
It's the most wonderful time of the year. And with help from Albertsons, it doesn't have to be the most stressful. Stop in for great deals on holiday favorites so you can stretch your budget and celebrate more. Pick up fresh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts or thighs, just $1.59 a pound when you buy a value pack of three pounds or more. And get General Mills cereal 10.7 to 13 ounces, selected varieties, $1.57 when you buy two. Tastier meals, sweeter deals, happier holidays. Albertsons, it's just better.